Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning. You are with the double L team, Larland. Lawson. Lawson. What are you thankful for this morning? Um, So, Larland, I took your advice. I oh. finally. <laughs> so, the, yeah, well, hey, anytime you take my advice is a good reason to be thankful. Yeah, that's right. No, so yeah, you're thankful. For, you're, you're thankful you took my advice. Yeah, this I did. Yeah, no, yeah, basically, yeah. my car got to the point yesterday where it just wouldn't even run, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I finally got a new battery. <laughs> like it just. For those who might have missed the previous three months, Lawson has been roll starting his car for the last three months. <laughs> yeah. And now it has reached the point where it doesn't matter how fast you roll it, you can't spin that alternator fast enough. To literally, make it. <laughs> literally, I, dude. So I, I went to start it yesterday before radio, and I started it the day before and drove it around. And I'm like, you know, it hasn't been off all weekend. It should be fine. And then I went to start it, and it wouldn't start. And I was like, uh, okay. So. so you could just swap the alternator out, put a uh, magneto in there, and, uh, and and then of course it will create you know spark just instantly. It turns over. Is that cheaper than buying a battery? No. Yeah. So, <laughs> so basically, but so I couldn't start my car, but then, um, I, I borrowed, um, I borrowed someone who lives with me. I borrowed their car and then I came home and I jump started my car, like from their car with the, you know, with the leads. Mm-hmm, Cause mm-hmm. it was the one day where I parked it in a place where I couldn't push it down the yes. hill. Anyways. St- and my car barely started. Like it was just barely turning over, barely turning over. And it ran for a little bit and I went and drove somewhere and came back and turned it off. And then I went and, did some work and can, and then I needed to go somewhere else and it wouldn't start. And I'm like, okay, I'm on the hill now. I could, I can just roll it down the hill. And that literally I rolled down like 600 meters worth of hill trying to get this thing to start. And like, once I got to the very bottom, it turned over and I got on the phone and was like to the battery shop. And I was like, Hey, I didn't even You're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith FM. Positively different. There you go. Um, I've got a solution for you. In fact, a, uh, a listener has texted in with a solution. Uh, he says a friend of mine has been buying second-hand batteries for the last 20 years from the wreckers. Cost them about $50, $60. And they have been lasting about two or three years. Awesome. So that's cheaper than your you know, $200 battery. Oh, man, I'm going to tell this story. This is, this is so <laughs> funny. Okay, okay, hold on. You got me started. So when I go to the battery shop, right? Yes. I go to the battery shop and they're like, okay, so we've got a few batteries for your car. Um, firstly, we've got the Korean battery that's $150 and comes with two years warranty. And then we've got the Australian battery, Australian made quality, only $200. And I'm like, oh, can I just, can I just get the, the cheap one? <laughs> can I just get the, it comes with warranty. It's so funny. Like, I, I feel like, and it's just a classic thing. I feel like the, I'm like, why would buying something from Korea mean that it's, that's worse in 2021. Like, I don't know. There's just this thing in me where I'm like, it, times have you changed. Just, you're just a cheapskate. That's just right. Cheapskate. I'm just a cheapskate. Don't support the Australian that's economy. That's right. I'm, just... I'm terrible. Um, yes. And you heard it here first. All right. Oy, let's have a look at some positively different news, though. <laughs> we've been covering this story. We've had um, Pastor Darren Pratt on here talking about this. This whole idea of Instagram for kids. Right. And just, you know, how there was, once this was announced, there was then all the, all the. Because we've talked about just how damaging Instagram is, particularly for teen girls mm. and the level of depression and, you know, a whole slew of different um, uh, 
problems that have come out as a result of that and that Facebook has known about for a very, very long time and has been diligently covering up while they have been, you know, marketing basically dopamine to teenagers. That's right. That's right. And it's like a lot of people held the opinion that we had and that Pastor Darren had that, hey, this isn't a good thing and mm-hmm. there needs to be some kind of uh, – something needs to be done. Yes. Uh, but in the wake of this, this isn't totally like perfect news, but um, Facebook have – Right now, they've paused and suspended their plans for creating Instagram for kids. They're like, because of all the pressure, because of all the backlash, they are taking some time to reconsider, to to work out what they're doing and maybe change Maybe this is not such a good idea because, well, you know what it comes down to is these guys have been copying a lot of flack in the media and they are looking really, really bad. Yeah, that's right. And they're looking basically like a cigarette company. And so they're like, mm, yeah, well, this is going to be bad for us. What can you do when you get cancelled, right? It's like yes. that's, 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 what, what, that's what they're trying to work out. So um, at the moment, yeah, they're, they're kind of reconsidering. It's interesting reading Facebook's reasoning for coming up with Instagram for kids. Um, they say their primary motive is that a lot of underage – so the, like Facebook TOS is like – you have to be 13 to sign up mm-hmm. to Instagram. And a lot of kids under that age are getting on Instagram and lying about their age. So they're like, oh, we want to create a solution where, you know, kids can be protected and da 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 da, da. But, but ultimately, like, I think what we've recognized is creating another Facebook or an Instagram is not the solution. Like, ultimately, social media for children is not the solution. It is not the solution. And so... Yeah, they're they're doing what they can at the moment. They're, they're, there's a lot of back and forth between the media, particularly you know the Wall Street Journal who wrote the initial piece on on why Instagram was Instagram for kids was bad. It, well, it was inspired by the idea that Instagram for kids is coming out and writing about how toxic it was for teen girls and how how bad of a thing it was. Um, but yeah, they're they're in the midst of coming up with a solution for this. So I guess we'll follow this further and and see what they get to. All right. Ah, oh, okay. Are you going to are you going to talk about the vaccine? Yeah. Oh, you you're going to talk about you it. You can talk about it. You go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I, ju- I just I was just reading. I personally I was just reading. Um yeah, basically we've kind of you can actually I'll let you cover this, but I will say that go ahead, we've can't we've come to a a, a relatively Decent solution. We've come to some kind We've of solution. We've come to a better solution than what we had before. That's right. Uh, and that is that, yeah, at 80% um, vaccination rate. So 70% is when all those, like, um, basic restrictions come in for unvaccinated people are allowed to go out in the public. and vac- uh, So vaccinated people are allowed to go out in the public and unvaccinated people aren't. Um, but at 80%, that changes. and For churches. For churches. There's a whole bunch of things it doesn't change for, mm. and I was looking at some of those, but this is a really important one, and it's something that uh, faith-based groups, in, in, including our church, has been lobbying for very, very hard over the last couple of weeks because you know the initial announcement came out that when we reached the 70% vaccination point, uh, churches could reopen. Great, we all celebrated, but only for the vaccinated. And at that point, we're like, well, that kind of defeats the whole purpose of what church is for. That's right. And we got super sad about that. And so we've been lobbying very, very hard that um, either at the 70% or at the 80% mark, we're actually allowed to open for the unvaccinated, mm-hmm. um, which is which is critical to the function of church. And so uh, it seems that the government has Listened. felt the pressure. Yeah. Felt the pressure. 
They felt the pressure. So congratulations to all of those church leaders and faith-based leaders who have been pushing very, very hard for this. Mm. And and for just for myself, and this is actually only in Sydney. I don't even think this is New South Wales wide. It's been announced just initially for Sydney, but it should come up here. Like it will most likely be New South Wales wide. Um, but the really good thing that I think about this, and I hope that the the government realizes from this, and that we can possibly see a trend briefly in the future where they recognize the purpose of church and they recognize like that they understand like oh why why do we let churches be tax free oh why you know why do we put churches there's in these? a reason for this yeah and a it's really important it's reason so that they can help people you know, exactly and and, and, and how do we help people if you know if you won't let us have sorry i'm oh no no it's fine starting no, no 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 it's good it's good it's good but specifically the vulnerable because that's that's right that's who Absolutely. we recognize it's like oh those who will be unvaccinated either will be you know doing it out of conscience or will be people that struggle to access those things you know people from low socioeconomic areas and communities and it's like okay I, I hope in some way they understand why we wanted this, not just because we're maybe some, you know, some club who just wants to be open. No, no, because we want to help people. I really hope they see and understand that. Finally, a statistic has come out from the UK that says the, that millennials are by far the most adventurous with food. So essentially, millennials, they eat the most foreign cuisine. They eat the most cuisine that is foreign to their specific culture slash ethnicity. And that is awesome because that's my age range. And that we are like so much better than every other generation. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to claim it. Nah, you guys are lame. <laughs> X gen rules. Okay, we'll have fun eating three veggies and a piece of piece of well replacement meat. <laughs> three veggin three veggin meat was something from the greatest generation. Okay. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so. Um, couple of uh, quick stories here about COVID. First of all, uh, they have found that in Sydney, half of all of the people who die from... Sydney and Melbourne, sorry. Half of all the people who die from COVID are not diagnosed until after they're dead. Really? Yes. Sorry. Half of all the people who die at home from COVID. Okay. Which goes to indicate that, you know, about half of people who, well, catch COVID are not being tested. Hmm. Which is an interesting thought. Half, I, I, th- I think it would be like way more. So a lot of people honest. are getting sick and they're just like, well, I'm not going to go get tested and they just self-isolate at home, we hope. Mm. Anyway, uh, if you do get sick, it is important to get tested. This is not, you know, this is a nasty bug mm. and uh, we, you do need to know what's going on. You do need to let, know, let others know what is going on. That's a sensible thing to do and that's something that the Bible supports. The whole idea of you know quarantine and social distancing and so forth is a biblical principle in these kinds of circumstances and I think we all uh, relate to how much we hate it when somebody turns up at work and they're unwell and they're like, oh, yeah, I've got the flu but I'm tough and I'm going to push through and it's like, <laughs> thanks for nothing, go home. So funny, dude. Anyway. Uh, silly guys. Um, okay, so just coming back to the uh, the 80% uh, vaccination, well, I'd like to encourage all places of worship not to open until we reach 80%. Oh, definitely. For 100%. Such a good point. I, I, think it, I think it's just a terrible, terrible idea uh, to open at the 70% vaccination rate and to discriminate mm. and to create a medical apartheid in Australia. 
Mm. I, I just think that's wrong. That's so anti everything to do with Christian and you know people of other faiths. I think are on the same page as well. So let's let's if we can open it eighty percent, then let's open it eighty percent. Mm, that's right. I think yeah. Just on that too, like just my experience. We've been doing Zoom on uh, church on Zoom, which obviously is just does not compare to doing church live, right? But we at our church have experienced growth. We've, exp- you know, we've been doing Bible studies with people. People have been making decisions for God. Like whether the Zoom or not, like whether we're in person or not, the gospel is not, still going out. The gospel is still going out. And so I think what's really important there is maybe you could be looking at the situation, but like as like, oh, but at seventy percent we can go. So why don't we go? It's like, hey, because the gospel is still going to move. Yes, absolutely. And the thing is that. First vaccinations are well above 80% in New South Wales already. Yes. And so it's only going to lag. The 80% uh, target might lag by, what, three to five weeks, something like that. Yeah. We can wait that long mm-hmm. um, so that we don't end up in a position where we are discriminating. Okay, now this is an interesting story. Uh, this one comes from the Deputy President for the Fair Work Commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is Lyndall Dean. And she has come out and called mandatory vaccinations medical apartheid. Okay. You just said that I just said that. That's where I got the word from. (laughs) I copied her uh, because the story was coming up and it was the story that was in my head. Okay. And this particularly comes in relationship to uh, an individual by the name of uh, Jennifer Kimber uh, who worked in the aged care sector. She was a receptionist. And, of course, this was the first sector where uh, vaccinations became mandatory and she... Uh, had previously uh, had the flu shot, been allergic, you know, had some nasty, you know, anaphylactic uh, reaction to the flu shot. Mm. Uh, so she got a letter from a GP to say that, you know, um, she is um, allergic to these kinds of vaccinations. And it, it accomplished nothing and she was promptly dismissed. And the reason that she was dismissed is because they found that on her work computer she had been Googling. Uh, vaccination, the effects of side effects of vaccinations, and they said, "No, you are not um, opposed to this vaccination. We think that you have a broader anti-vax stance, and so we are going to persecute you for that." That is insane. I, that is stuff. that is like Pretty a breach of privacy. Yes, like a massive one. Well, I guess it was a work computer. I don't know. But, yeah, but okay, I don't so know the details. It could be a work computer, details. but like I know on my work computer, I sign into like my Google accounts, right? That's like my you're, yeah. you're entitled to your history. Anyway, uh, Fair Work Commissioner uh, Bernie Riordan um, said that basically she had, quote, Googled all kinds of stuff about the side effects. All kinds of stuff. Okay, so listen, anybody That's out there deep. who hasn't Googled all kinds of stuff about the side effects of the vaccine is an irresponsible person. Dude, I, I Googled it and I got the vaccine. Exactly. Like. This is this is what you do before you get the vaccine, right? And this is how you choose which vaccine you're going to get if you're going to get the vaccine. It's like, well, do I want Pfizer or Moderna or AstraZeneca or do I want to wait until I can travel to a different country and get... Novavax or something else that might be out there, you know. Uh, this is this is what responsible human beings do with their bodies. But anyway, uh, Lyndall Dean has strenuously disagreed with the ruling, called it a serious injustice, uh, a form of medical segregation. These are all quotes. Medical apartheid, ethically wrong. 
mm. against the Australian way of life and against everything we value as Australians. Like, particularly, and I agree with her. I, just, I agree absolutely. Because she's uh, like, especially, especially. Yeah, because I mean, this person had a medical. She has a, <laughs> do- a letter from her doctor. <laughs> she has an exemption. She has a history of bad reactions to vaccines. She's got a lot more reason to be hesitant than the rest of us. So I could, I could think here, and this may be me being skeptical. Is either her employer has a very heavy pro-vax agenda, or they're just gunning for her? No, but- this is this is the this is Fair Work Australia. Okay, Fair Work Australia. Yeah. So employer fires are because, you know, they're not allowed to keep people on in that particular industry who are unvaccinated. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so she's brought this letter and so it's then gone to Fair Work Australia and Fair Work Australia is like, nah, you, you can't have your job back, you know, because you're not, you're, you're actually, um, you have an anti-vax position rather than being allergic. Oh, okay. So if she gets vaccinated and dies from an, from like anaphylactic shock, then what mm, happens? Yeah. Good question right there. That's so bad. Uh, <laughs> but I really like what, uh, the, um, the deputy president of Fair Work Commission came out with, Lyndall Dean. I, I think she's got a good stand right there. We, mm. we are dividing Australia. This is very unhealthy for our culture. Okay, so um, we did say that there was a survey on prayer and out of the UK, and it's found that young people pray a lot more than older people. So 51% of people between 18 and 55 pray. Over 55s, only 24% pray. So this is good news, and it shows that spirituality is alive and well amongst young people in countries that are seen as being secular. Uh, that was a survey of 2,075 UK adults, 18 and over. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. In Australia and for God. Okay, well, joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. Sven Erstring, our resident apologist here on Faith FM Radio, to talk about Jordan Peterson and Jordan Peterson's faith. Dr. Sven Erstring, welcome to the show. Good to be back, Lyle and Lawson. Uh, yeah, really looking forward to this topic. Now, Sven, when it comes to Jordan Peterson, for myself, I've actually avoided the YouTube clips where he talks about his faith. And the reason that I've done that is that I like to listen to what he has to say just to understand the reasoning from a scientific perspective. But today we're going to have a little bit of analysis of the faith of Jordan Peterson. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, Jordan Peterson really hit the scene in, a, in, a, in an incredible way. And, and I guess in some ways it's really kind of um, uh, really basic in some ways and, and um, you know, kind of really hits home because he's really t- saying to, to us guys, you know, young guys, You've got to make your bed. You've got to get up in the morning. You've got to get a real job. You know, you've got to tidy up your room. You've got to hang out the washing. I mean, you know, and, you know, honestly, in some ways, he sounds like, like your, your mum uh, or, or your grandmother. And, you know, I would have thought that people would just write off um, Jordan Peterson right from the start. But for, for some crazy reason, he's just caught the, the, the masculine psyche um, by storm, and people sort of sitting up and going like, yes, well, we really do need to make our bed and, and um, uh, you know, get our life together, which is, which is really cool. And, of course, that's, you know, his 12 rules for life, effectively, you know, with a few things more as well. But the, the interesting thing is this, Lyle, is that Jordan actually weaves in, he almost like bases his morality and his, you know, the, the self-discipline, he almost bases it in, in so many ways 
on the um, Judeo-Christian worldview and, in fact, the Bible. And he does this um, actually using the book of Genesis, which is really incredible. Yeah, and this is interesting because, you know, when you listen to Jordan's reasoning, you can often, you know, as a Christian listening to his his reasoning, I'm like, well, you know, the Bible supports that, and then the Bible supports that, and the Bible supports that as well. Uh, mm. All the while, he's not quoting from the Bible; he's just, you know, quote, he's just reasoning with uh, the the people that he is um, being interviewed by, which can often be quite entertaining. Yes, yes, definitely. And and the question really is this: I mean, does Jordan Peterson himself believe in the Bible? Does he? Does he believe in in God? Does he believe in in Christianity? And that, that's where we want to kind of dive in today. The, the fact is, um, in many of his discussions about the Bible, he's almost like using the the Bible as a story, as a narrative on which to to base our morality. And and of course, you know, we can we can do that. But the question is. Does Jordan Peterson have the foundation that is needed to be able to build that morality um, in a very, very secure way? And, and that's really what I want to, to explore today because uh, there, there's times when you listen to Jordan Peterson where, where you go like, wow, he is so close to being a, a Christian and actually believing in Jesus that you know he, he's almost through the door, if you, if you want to put it that way. He's almost in the baptismal font. Um, and, and I remember in a, in a uh, public dialogue that he had with William Lane Craig, and, and he's, had a, he, he's referred to it in many instances where he said, you know, I had this dream where I saw Christ um, being, you know, crowned as king and all the kings of the earth bowing down before, before Jesus, before Christ. And I'm kind of like, that sounds like revelation. I mean, that that's a that's a comes straight out of you know Philippians chapter two or you know Revelation chapter chapter nineteen and twenty. You know, this is just incredible. But the but in many ways, he he seems to struggle to actually make that step and come out and say, yes, I am a Christian and I believe in God. Yes, this is this is true, and I've often wondered for his you know his reasoning behind that because mm. is it because he is not a Christian or is it because he feels that he will have more influence using sound reason rather than people just writing him off like oh he's just you know parroting what you know his favorite religious text says. Yes, yes. And and the fact is this, is that Jordan Peterson, in every other way, is is so totally kind of um, open and direct. You know, so, so you know, he will tell um, guys, you've got to make your bed. Um, you know, he refuses to use um, gender-neutral pronouns. You know, he will he'll tackle the whole um, general dysphoria, gender dysphoria, uh, transgender um, issue. And he gets in a, into a lot of trouble because of it. Um, so um, I I don't feel that that he is he is uh, hiding it just so that he can get more publicity. In fact, in a recent um, interview um, that he had uh, that, that's that's up on YouTube, he he said, you know, it's it's too terrifying a reality to actually fully believe um, in Jesus. 
um, and, and he goes on, I don't know what would happen if you really did believe it. But then on the other hand, you know, he kind of does a little bit of a backlim and he says, well, there, there's no limit to what you, uh, what would happen if you acted like God existed. So here we come sort of, you know, from a foundational point of view, he says it's terrifying, uh, you know, I'm afraid uh, that, that God probably does exist. But then he says, well, if you act as if he do, uh, does exist, then your life will have such an incredible amount of, you know, moral and social order. You really need to, to live as though um, your life needs to be founded on the Bible, on Genesis and all those kind of things. So there's a real sort of, you know, he's really struggling uh, whether to believe in, in God or not. And it's it's remarkable. I mean, if this had been a conversation that somebody like Jordan Peterson had had, you know, say 200 years ago, I would look at Christianity at that particular time and say, yeah, Christianity was pretty terrifying as a religion. These days, not so much. And of course, this is somebody who is very well read and has, you know, very, very closely studied kind of many different aspects of, you know, the human the human brain and how the human brain works and obviously the impact of religion on the human brain and yet still to be scared. Yes, yes. And, and you know, he, in, um, he, he talks about how, you know, the, when he looks at the Catholic Church and, you know, the, the sexual corruption, the political corruption, the financial, all of those kind of things, and then he says, well, you know, you're trying to sell me this um, belief and I'm, I'm supposed to, um, to buy into it, and I'm going like, well, really? Do I really want to believe it? But here's the amazing thing, Lyle, and, and you and I know this well. The incredible reality is that the same Bible on which Jordan Peterson bases his Judeo-Christian morality, you know, from Genesis, turning chaos into order, and that's what he's really referring to, the same Bible at the end also prophesies about the incredible corruption of the Catholic Church. Yes, and. And Christianity in general. That's right. And points us to say, no, don't follow a corrupt version of Christianity, a pagan version of Christianity. You need the pure version of Christianity. You need the genuine, the the original faith of Jesus and and, uh, John and James and and Peter and Paul. Uh, And and this is what in some ways... um, uh, Peterson actually seems to be to be missing, and and the other thing too, um, Lyle, is I have actually known a a young person who has been brought back to faith in God um, through Jordan Peterson, oh, wow. and um, and and that's incredible. But the the interesting thing is that once again Jordan does a bit of a backflip because he says, well, if there's any church that I join. It'll be the Catholic Church, and, and so, so I'm going like, hang on a minute, you know, you're not sure if you really, um, you know, like the Catholic uh, faith, but then you'd say, well, that's the Catholic faith that uh, you need to to join. That he would join if he um, chose. And my point would be this, Lyle, this morning is that we need to dig deeper than just the morality of the Bible. Yes. We need to we need to dig deeper than just the the history of the, the Christian church down through the Middle Ages. We need to meet Jesus for himself and 
and the reality that Jesus actually does exist. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, this is one of the things that I would encourage Jordan Peterson to do is to actually look at some of the big challenging questions that, you know, religion and Christianity in general gets challenged with and just ask, okay, who has the best answers to these? Absolutely, absolutely. So rather than necessarily just focus on the psychology or the morality or the pragmatic aspects of, of you know, understanding what the, the biblical stories might mean to you um, in terms of ethics. We need to dive deeper into, okay, does God actually exist? We need to, you know, face the, the reality. Now, you know, he says, well, it's a terrifying reality to, to fully believe in God. You know, he's afraid that God may, may probably exist. It's interesting in the, the, um, the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, C.S. Lewis, um, you know, uh, uh, it says that Aslan, the, the lion, he is terrifying, but he's good. He's terrifying, but he's good. In, in, in the sense that God is so much bigger there than we are. You know, he, he is powerful, but we have to understand that God is good and he's loving. He has our best interests in mind. And, when we do that, when when we actually dive into the reality that you know that God actually does exist, we find an incredible foundation for our lives, um, which which cannot be shaken. And and you know there, there's a story which Jesus told, a very famous story of two different men, uh, two different people. One person who built their life uh, life on the sand. You know, when the storms came uh, and the winds, uh, the winds howled against the, the house and, and uh, the waves beat against it. You know, when you build your life on, on sand, uh, that house, that your life will fall flat. Mm. But when you build your life on the foundation, the rock, which is Jesus, your your house. Uh, using that analogy, your your life will will stand, and and that's what I want to to encourage, um, you know, each and every one of our listeners today. You know, going back to that young person, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I s- said to him uh, was this: is that you can always learn from everyone. We can learn from um, Jordan Peterson, but we need to dive deeper. We do not need to be, you know, held by the the kind of um, indecision that he might have. We need, we need to go deeper into, into the reality of Jesus himself. And that's what I'd encourage each and every one of us. You know, we can learn, uh, you know, about self-discipline and morality uh, from Jordan Peterson. But if he's still kind of in that valley of decision, as we'd say, you know, still trying to decide, sitting on the fence, you know, with, with regards to God, I'd say, you know, don't stay on the fence with Jordan Peterson. Don't, don't just hang there. Dive in deeper. Um, because as you and I know, Lyle, um, there is so much evidence. There's so much historical. Um, you can go to scientific. You can go to philosophical. Um, you can go to moral reasons why God exists. And, and you'll find yourself, you know, at a, with a deep sense of peace and, and joy, you know, and, you know, he says, uh, to, to people, he says, um, you know, he's been living in, in 
pain, mental pain, being a psychologist, he actually struggled with depression and all of those kind of things. But he says, you know, the fact that I've been living in constant pain makes the idea of joy seem cruel. Um, but I want to say to you that, that there is a deeper uh, level of joy when you know Jesus, when you know that he exists and he cares for you, um, that you will not be... Um, you know, um, buffeted by these emotions that, that Jordan Peterson experienced, you know, the terrifying, uh, you know, being afraid, all of those kind of things, um, feeling that the joy is, is cruel. When we know Jesus, our, our lives are built on a solid foundation, and, and that's an incredible, incredible reality. That That's that's a reality that, that Jordan Peterson almost wants to have, but he's not willing to go all the way. And while I want to say to, to you and all of our listeners today, um, don't be afraid to make that full commitment to really believing in Jesus. Uh, it's, it's an incredible experience. And it's what I know for myself personally, I know that you know it more than, um, we need to, to go beyond. We need to have the courage to move forward, even as a very famous, um, high-profile people like Jordan Peterson um, are not willing to make that step of commitment to faith in Jesus. Dr. Sven Erstring, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really appreciate uh, those insights into a very famous, controversial figure in our world today, Jordan Peterson and his faith. This is Trina. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.